And the thing about classes, I, I just want to uh, share this one thing about classes and share this one thing about knowledge. Um, it says in one place in scripture, it says without knowledge, you can perish. Lack of knowledge, right, you can perish. But knowledge also kind of puffs up, right? So, well, which is it? It is kind of both. But knowledge can puff up. Because what happens is when you're in a class and you're learning things in, in a class, sometimes you're like, oh, I get it. And a misdirection from getting it is, why is the church missing their Jewish roots? What's the matter with them? You know what I mean? Or the opposite side, what's the matter with the Jewish people? Why didn't they see the side? If it's so obvious that I'm learning how obvious it is that Yeshua is the Messiah, why didn't they get it? You know what I mean? So then, so like, it's one of the, it's, it's, it's something that can happen with knowledge where you kind of have a judgment and we kind of fall to it. So I, I just want to just throw that out there and just say, none of us know nothing, okay? Because Adonai, if you can put a boundary on Adonai, which you can't, okay? But assuming you can put a boundary on Adonai, which you can't, let's say that's Adonai, right? And you discover the Jewish roots, the Hebrew roots of the faith, like, oh my gosh, how much was I missing of Adonai? That's what it is, right? And that's the way it is with really anything. When, you, when Adonai uncovers something about himself, and you're like, whoa, what an incredible revelation. Always remember, it's a dot, right? I've used the expression before, like, a, a, it's going to sound abrasive, a pimple on the ass. <laughs> okay? It's like... You know, and it's various sizes of asses. But a pimple on it is really small. Okay? Whatever you learn, whatever I learn, in this class or other classes, it's a pimple on the ass. It's, okay? That's recorded. That's for the Connecticut people. That's for Rosemary and the Connecticut people. Pimple on the ass. Take your notes. Pimple on the ass, okay? That's A-S-S. You can write B-U-T-T if you'd like. So anyway, so that's the thing. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to be confounded. All of us are going to be confounded. Whether we figured out the, 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 the festivals, the, the Hebrew festivals, the Jewish festivals, how this is going to play out in the end, as much as we think we figured it out, we're all going to be confounded. And Paul, Rab Shaul, Paul in Romans at one point says, like, everybody, like he put everybody under sin so nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. So at the end of this whole thing, when Messiah comes, this whole thing plays out, I don't think there's anybody that's going to go, okay, I got it. It's happening exactly as I thought. You know? I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen with anybody. Me, you, anybody. So it's always good to know this, right? So anyway, so, so we'll always have, you know, that spirit in this class and other classes, whatever it is, that we just don't know nothing. We're just getting together. We're kind of learning as best we could. All right. So foundation. So what better way to start a foundation class than to talk to the, the, the founder, talk about the founder of our faith, the author, the finisher of our faith, the beginning of our faith, the end of our faith, the aleph of our faith, the tav of our faith. 
uh, Yeshua the Messiah. Um, so I call this class uh, Yeshua, who do you say I am? So we're going to talk about King of Glory, and that's going to be the start of this foundation class. And, you know, some of the stuff you may know, but, you know, maybe there's going to be some things in here that you just haven't heard before. Okay? All right, Baruch Hashem. Matthew 1, 1. Yeah, I brought a Bible. All right. So right in the beginning of the New Testament, which um, in Hebrew is the Brit Kadashah, which is the New Testament. Uh, right in the beginning of this thing, right when they start talking about Yeshua the Messiah, it immediately says, um, the book of the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So that's the first thing it says about Yeshua. Son of David, son of Abraham. So I believe what the writer is doing is immediately setting a context for who Yeshua is. And he says the son of David and the son of Abraham. And those are things that can't just be glossed over because those are two important things. Son of David, by saying he's the son of David, he is equating him with David. And the promise that went to David that a king is going to come after David who's going to be the Messiah. And we're going to go through some of these things about the promises made to David that one of his descendants is going to be king over all the earth. Right? So immediately, he equates him with David. Right? Equates him with David. And immediately equates him with Abraham. And Abraham is the founder, the, the, the or origin, the originator, or the, the, the first in the line for the Jewish people and also for the nations because the promise went to Abraham that through, through him all the nations would be blessed. But even in that time, Abraham was the like the forefather of the Jewish people. Right? So immediately what Matthew is saying in Matthew 1.1, right in the beginning, who is Yeshua? He is the Jewish Messiah. That is exactly what he's saying right at the beginning. By saying son of Abraham, he is linking him to the nation of Israel. And by linking him to David, he's linking him to the kingship, to the Messiahship through David. So immediately by saying he's the son of David, son of Abraham, he's immediately saying he is the Jewish Messiah. Okay? I, I don't understand. I remember going to one place and there was um, a group that was handing out Bibles to people, right? It was they were handing out Bibles, and they were, and I, I, they handed me a Bible, and I opened the Bible, and it was the New Testament and the Book of Psalms, and I was like, "Where's the rest of the Old Testament? Like, where is the rest of the Tanakh, the Old Testament? Like, if you just had the Psalms and..." the New Testament, and you're reading, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. How would you even know who he is? Like, how would you even know who Abraham is? You know, and I know, I guess, you know, eventually we'd read the whole Bible, obviously, and I guess it's just an initiation into it. But you're missing the, just the critical piece of who Messiah is. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's a Messiah of Israel. And Matthew establishes that right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. Um, immediately, Matthew starts to connect Yeshua to prophecies in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. Does everybody ever hear the term Tanakh? Yes. Yeah? Tanakh is, is the Hebrew term for the Old Testament, and it's actually an acronym. Okay? 
It's the Torah, which we know we read Torah every week. So that's the five books of Moses. The prophets, which is in Hebrew is the Nevi'im, that's the prophets. So that's the N, in Tanakh. so Tanakh, T-N-K, let's say, right? Um, so Torah, Nevi'im, and then K is Ketuvim, which is the writings. What's that? First Yeah, right. So in the Ketuvim of the writings, that's like the Psalms, the Proverbs, um, things like that, Ecclesiastes. So that's the Old Testament, Tanakh, all right? So if I ever say that, that's the Old Testament. Um, but immediately, Matthew starts to connect Yeshua to prophecies in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, um, showing that he is actually the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, right? And there's tons and tons of prophecies in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, that speak about who Messiah is. It's throughout, right? Right from the beginning, when it talks about uh, the, 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 the child, the, the, the the son or the, the, the child of, of Eve would would um, would crush the serpent's head right in the beginning, you know, right through uh, the Psalms of, of David. And so when the Lord said to my Lord, you know, make the enemies your footstool. It's all throughout the Old Testament to Isaiah, to Isaiah 53, and many of us know Isaiah 53. There's um, just myriads of prophecies. And somebody actually, a mathematician, actually tried to um, put odds like who, like what are the odds of one person fulfilling like all these prophecies? And it was like some amazing odds, you know what I mean? What about those Jews? How can they not see it then? All right, I'll show that. Um, yeah. So anyway, but Matthew, in continuing to link Yeshua to who he is, immediately starts to connect him to all these different prophecies. He came out of Egypt. Out of Egypt came forth my son, you know, and and that was originally about Israel, because obviously Israel came out of Egypt. Right? Out of Adam of came forth my son is the prophecy. Obviously it's about Israel, but it's also about Messiah. Right? Um, so there's, there's lots of prophecies that speak about Yeshua, uh, the virgin birth, right? In I, Isaiah 7:14, the virgin will conceive and bear a son called Emmanuel. Speaks about Messiah. Also has a, a local fulfillment, by the way. Also has a fulfillment about what's going on. If you read those chapters, there was a king, I don't remember exactly, who was afraid of the attack of Syria. And he went to Isaiah and said, can you give me a sign here that we're going to be okay? You know, and he said, right, when this happens, you'll know that your enemies who you're fearing, like Syria aligning with Israel, I think it was against Judah, will, will your enemies will be gone. You know, so there's a, there's, a, there's a local fulfillment of that, right? But it's also fulfilled in Messiah. Okay? So many of the prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled... In, some, in a way, and you can see the fulfillment in the Old Testament. But then Messiah fulfills it as well. Okay? Okay? Um, and it's important to note these things because, because Yeshua, Jesus, has been stripped a lot of his Jewish roots. Right? So here we have Matthew linking him so specifically to the roots of Israel the Jewish people, and it's, it's a critical thing, I think, because for the past 2,000 years, he's pretty much been stripped away from that from that root. So I think it's important to realize that, even, and we know this, we've spoken about this, that his name, it says in Matthew, and his name will be Jesus, because he saves his people from their sins, and that only, only, only makes sense in the Hebrew context. Because ultimately, what does the name Jesus have to do 
with saving people from their sins. Like, ultimately, it doesn't really have anything to do with it. You might as well say, and his name will be called Fred. Because he will save his people from their sins. Like, what is the, what is the connection? The connection is found when you go back to Hebrew, and you realize his name is Yeshua, and the Hebrew word Yeshua means salvation. So that only makes sense, only makes sense in Hebrew. It doesn't make sense in English. It doesn't make sense in Greek. It only makes sense in Hebrew that his name is Yeshua because he will save. Yeah? Yeah, we want to ask questions. Uh, sure. Yes. Okay. Um, what's your meaning? I yeah. want to get this straight. Yeah. I'm just saying that he had, um, he was stripped of the like, Jewish. Over time, yes. Right. Do you mean, like, because all that time, I talk to a lot of people and I say Jesus was a Jew and they're like, no, he wasn't. So yeah. is that what yeah. you mean? That's, because that's part of it, absolutely. They think he's Christian and not Jewish. Yeah, I don't know how you can be Christian when you're Christ. That would have to mean, like, you're following yourself. You know? So, but that's what you're talking about, being stripped of the Jewishness. Yeah. The people through the years have made him Christian and not Correct. Jew. Yeah. To give you a little history of that, I, I did a little bit of research on that some time ago, and I can share just on a high level what happened, right? So after Yeshua was crucified, resurrected, and went up to be at the right hand of the Father, it was always considered part of the Jewish faith, right? And right now in Judaism, if you look at Judaism in modern day times, you have like Orthodox Jews, right? And they have, you know, the long sideburns, and they wear a lot of black or whatever it is, right? And then they're called the Orthodox Jews. And then you have the conservative Jews, which are a little less Torah observant, you know, than the Orthodox. And then you have the Reformed Jews, who are, like, fairly secular. You know, back in the time of Yeshua, it wasn't like that. It wasn't, like, Orthodox and conservative and Reformed. Pretty much everybody was Orthodox. You know, everybody believed in God. They believed in Adonai, right? But they all had these various little opinions. It's almost like denominations and churches. It's very similar to how it is in denominations and churches. Like some rabbi has a certain translation of something, and a bunch of people follow him, and that becomes a little bit of a denomination within the big circle of Judaism. Does that make sense? God yes. created division. Yeah, amen. You're right. And so, but that's how it was. So there was all these all these little divisions within Judaism. The Nazarenes were one of them. Okay, and even Jewish. Uh, historians write about the Nazarenes. Okay? It was another sect within Judaism. These were the followers of Messiah. It was another sect within Judaism. Rome, as we know, was persecuting the Jewish people. Right? So Rome occupied Israel and they persecuted the people. Right? Eventually, over time, the attacks from Rome um, became very, very heavy on the Jewish people, even from a tax perspective. Like, there were taxes that were only only put on the Jewish people. Like, there was temple taxes, right? Like, to, to, to build a temple for Zeus or whatever it was, for Jupiter, right? And only the Jewish people needed to do this, right? So eventually, the non-Jewish part of the Nazarenes, because one thing that was very different between the sect of the Nazarenes and the rest of Judaism is that Adonai revealed himself to non-Jews. And all of a sudden, these people who were like outside of the physical descendancy of, of, of Abraham, right? All of a sudden, are part of the same Israel. They're part of the same family, 
right? It's like, whoa. In fact, back then, it was such a, it was, as right now, as, as crazy as it is to say, like, like, a Jew believes in Jesus? Like, that's a weird thing these days. Back then, it was weird for a non-Jew to believe in Jesus, right? And we see that with um, Cornelius in the book of Acts, right, where, um, you know, where the Holy Spirit fell on him. And then the, the Jewish believers were like, okay, what do we do with this? Like, God just put the Holy Spirit on somebody who's not Jewish. What the heck is this about? It, that was groundbreaking back then. And that was a big difference between the Nazarene sect and, and everybody else. But anyway, so when Rome came down real heavy on the Jews, okay, in Israel, the Gentile sect of the Nazarenes began to break away. And that was the first kind of breakaway from the non-Jews of the Nazarenes from the Jews of the Nazarenes. So that was the start of the split to say, okay, the Rome is really persecuting us. If we back away from them, we won't get the persecution from Rome. So that was the that was the catalyst of that. That was you know that's what ultimately culminated in a in a complete split. Where by the time you get like the Council of Nicaea back in 300 400 AD, you know then like Jewish things became sacrilegious. Okay. So but anyway. Um, so that is a long answer to your question. So that's the history of how like the church ultimately cut themselves off from, from the, the Hebrew roots of the faith. Right? Yeah? Okay. Beautiful. All right. Um, another prophecy which I always found interesting is, um, in, again, in the book of Matthew, where it says, it talks about Yeshua coming from Nazareth. Right? And then it says, Matthew says, as it says in the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Right? And um, if you look in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, there's not a single verse that says he will be called a Nazarene. Right? But here's Matthew saying, as it is written in the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Right? But there's nowhere does it say he will be called a Nazarene. Once again, speaks to Jewishness of, the, especially the Book of Matthew and the Hebrew, the possibility that the Book of Matthew actually has a Hebrew root. So most of the other books of the New Testament probably were not written in Hebrew, based on what current scholarship sees. But the Book of Matthew is a good, good case that it was originally written in Hebrew. The fact that it says that he shall be called Yeshua, Jesus, because those saves people from the sins, only makes sense in Hebrew. But in um, Isaiah 11. I will open. Where are you, Isaiah? There you are. Okay, so this is a clear prophecy about the Messiah. Um, does anybody have it? Isaiah 11? Anybody? Okay, Linda, you okay reading it? So you can go Isaiah 11, just, just go 1 through 3. This is about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Okay. And that shall come forth the Branch shall grow from the roots, right? And there is 
Everybody know who Jesse is? David's father. David's father, right? So there's come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. So there's the linkage to King David, right? And a branch shall grow from his roots, right? The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and things like that. So that is clearly speaking of the Messiah. It's this branch that comes out from this stump or the roots of Jesse, right? And this branch that come out. It's a messianic prophecy. It's about Yeshua, okay? The Hebrew word for branch in that verse is netzer, right? So you have nun, oh gosh, help me, netzer. Okay, sometimes I use script, that, that's nun, right? Um, okay, so netzer, and a, a branch, um, a shoe shall come forth from the stump of death, Jesse, and a netzer shall come from its roots, right? That's translated as branch. That is the same Hebrew word as Nazarene. Okay? Yes. So when it says, and the prophets shall call him a Nazarene, that's where it links to. In Hebrew, it makes sense because this is the same root word as Nazarene. This equals Nazarene in the, in the root word, and it also means branch from Isaiah 11 and other places as well. Okay? So, again, makes a heck of a lot of sense in Hebrew, doesn't make sense in English. In fact, there are anti-Messianic groups out there that try to convince us that the New Testament is a bunch of malarkey, and they'll use things like this. Like Matthew said that the, the, the prophets say that it'll be called the Nazarene, there's nowhere in there. And they know the answer, they just stop saying it, that the answer is in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for Nazarene is the same as branch, which the Messiah is called in prophets. That's amazing, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Just as Matthew, that, that little scripture, yeah. there's so much knowledge that yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so he is the Jewish Messiah. Um, his name is Salvation. He is the branch. He is the branch that comes forth out of Jesse, um, and the Spirit of God uh, rests upon him. Um, what else is he? Who do you say I am? Uh, he is the Passover lamb. Now, all throughout the New Testament, it's spoken about he's the Lamb of God. 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 It's all throughout the Gospels, and it's all throughout the writings of Paul. He's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God makes no sense without Passover. I mean, we recognize it as, as, um, as a sacrificial lamb, you know what I mean? I mean, you can kind of get it when you understand that there's a sacrificial system in the Old Testament, in the, in the Torah, you know? Um, but without that knowledge, Lamb of God makes no sense. Right? I think there's even English idioms now about like being a sacrificial lamb. It's just become an expression. So people kind of learn that. But that has its root in the New Testament. But the original readers of, of these writings, they would have no idea what it means to be a lamb of God without a connection to the lamb of God from Passover who was slain and the blood of that lamb was put on the doorpost of the house so the angel of death would pass over that house and spare 
that house from destruction. That happened in the Torah in the times of Passover, and that is a direct relation to when it says he's the Lamb of God. And without that connection, our, our understanding of what, the, what it means to be the Lamb of God is limited. Okay? So he is the Lamb of God, and he died on Passover precisely. And just a little bit of a look ahead to next week. Uh, next week, as far in this foundations class, uh, Rabbi Peter has done seven-week yeshiva classes to talk about the uh, holidays, the festivals of the Lord. Uh, we're going to condense it all into one session. We're going to go through all of them, from Passover, all the spring festivals, into the fall festivals. We're going to look at what happened then, and we're looking at we're going to look at the prophetic meaning of that. So next week's going to be what's that? Hallelujah! <laughs> so we're going to look at all of that next week. In one night, it's going to be a blitz. It's going to be a, we're going to have, we're going to serve blitzes and have a blitz. So, but we'll learn more next week that he died on on Passover precisely. Um, As far as, I I want to share this because this is something that I love, right? I just love it. And growing up Jewish, I was very, I did not grow up in a household that was a faithful household, right? My parents didn't have faith in God. But we did have some Jewish traditions, right? Even biblical traditions. For instance, we would celebrate Passover and have the Passover meal, the Seder. And I think most people here know of the Seder because we've had congregational ones here and here. We have one, God willing, this year as well. Um, so I was familiar with the Passover Seder, even though I didn't have a household of faith. I was familiar with the Seder, and I was familiar with the elements in the Passover Seder, right? All the different foods you eat, things like that. And if you remember, there's uh, a Passover element that you eat that's called now the shankle, right? And it's, it's a linkage to the lamb, right? Because uh, right now, in these days, nobody's sacrificing lambs. Uh, even the Jewish people are not doing sacrificial system things. So they're not sacrificing lambs like they did in biblical times. So what they do during Passover is they bring a little bone that symbolizes the, the slain Passover lamb. Right? And it's part of the whole statement. The word for that bone, right, that shank bone, is Zeroah. Okay? I don't exactly know how to spell it. I think it's Zero. Help me out, Stephanie. What's the uh, ion? Is that an ion? Did I do an ion here or is that a study? Then the ion is kind of like a Y, right? Or something like that. Something like that. Okay. Zeroah. Um, and I'm probably spelling it wrong. But Zeroah is the word that's used in the Passover Seder for this shankle. Okay? The word Zeroah means arm. Now, stay with me here. Everywhere in Scripture that it talks about the arm of the Lord, Zeroah Adonai, it is always referring to Messiah. Okay? Because it always refers to what it is. It talks about the Lord and his redemption. Because he has a long arm, and he brings his arm down, and he gathers his people. Right? So whenever it speaks about the arm of the Lord, it's always it's always about him coming down and gathering his people. Like out of Egypt, it says... Um, it's not too short. Right, it's not too short to save. save. Right? Exactly. Um, the, Isaiah, the Lord 
may bear his holy arm, Zeroah, in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation, Yeshua of our God. Um, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. So the arm of the Lord always refers to like the, the end times messianic redemption of, of Israel. Always. Every single time it talks about the arm of the Lord. Right? It talks about, and even in Judaism they'll acknowledge it, that the arm of the Lord is messianic, end times messianic redemption. Okay? The word for arm is Zeroah. And it's the exact same word that's used in Passover for the symbol that is, that is the symbol, symbolic for the Lamb. Okay? So in the Passover, there's a connection between the end times messianic redemption, which is the arm of the Lord, and the Passover lamb. Because you have to know that in Judaism, there's no connection between the Passover lamb and the messianic redemption at the end. Because we have that as believers in Messiah, that he's the lamb of God. Right? Because we, we have that revelation. We, we read the New Testament and we know and we understand that. We understand that he's the Lamb of God. We understand that he's the fulfillment of Passover in that way. Right? He's the Lamb that was put, that was slain on Passover, and his blood is on the doorposts of our homes, so the angel of death passes over us. We get that as believers. Jewish people don't get that. Passover is just Passover. Right? It's about the redemption from Egypt, and that's it. It, the, they don't yet understand that there's a, a prophetic element to that that speaks about Messiah. But I always found it really interesting, I don't know if this is sinking in, maybe too heady, that, um, that, in, that the arm of the Lord, which all of Judaism equates to the Messiah at the end, the end times messianic redemption, when he gathers, gathers in the Jewish people, there's a connection between that and the Passover lamb by its name. The arm of the Lord, Zeroah, is the same word that's used in the Passover Seder to describe the lamb. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Hope that's coming across. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's really, really neat. <laughs> Shalom, are you going? Hi there, Connecticut. Adonai bless you. You're beautiful. And Rosemary's beautiful. And it's still going. Alright. All right. This is old school, isn't it? This thing is old school. It'll pop up. It'll pop up. I remember it. I can't believe I remember how to use it. Like you press the two buttons for the record. And it's been a while since I've seen one of that. It's probably worth like $500 on eBay now. as an antique or something. All right. Isaiah 53. Who shall believe our report? And whom has the arm? Zeroah of the same word, of the Lord, been revealed. Right? So Isaiah 53, right from verse 1, is about the Messiah, the arm of the Lord. Um, he grew up before him a tender shoot, a root out of parched ground. We just heard the Messianic prophecies about the shoot out of David and the stump, and all those types of symbols is all about the Messiah. So here it is right here in Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord, Zeroah, which is Messianic, been revealed, um, which essentially means, like, who, who's, who's, who, who would believe this? Who would believe what we just experienced? I'm going to share this. Jewish people do not think Isaiah 53 is about Messiah. 
it seems pretty obvious to us, it almost seems like the gospel according to Isaiah. Right? Isaiah 53. Because it so clearly articulates what Messiah has done. The Jewish people do not think it's about Messiah, obviously, because they don't believe in Messiah um, yet. They don't believe in Yeshua the Messiah yet. So who do they think Isaiah 53 is about? They believe it's about the nation of Israel. So, and who they think is talking, when it says, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right? What the Jewish people think that's happening is the speaker in Isaiah 53 is actually like the pagan nations, like the, like the Gentiles. And they're saying, and when God starts gathering in the Jewish people and making himself known to the nations, and oh my gosh, you know, he's bringing in the Jewish people, the nations are going to go, who can believe our report? Who can believe what we have just experienced? That, that who the arm of the Lord has been revealed to? That, that's what they think has happened. Okay? Um, so they think it's about Israel. And in some ways, you know, you can kind of see connections uh, to Israel, but it really, it falls down in many, many ways. It falls down in many, many ways. Um, verse 5. He bore the chastisement and made us whole. And by his stripes, we are healed. There is no way that that's about the nation of Israel. Okay? Um, it falls apart in verse 7 when it says he was submissive like a sheep being led to slaughter. And he did not open his mouth. Right? You may have had times in Jewish history during times of persecution where they submitted. But in general, you know, it's you don't equate. It's not like they're fighting. I'm just saying they did not fulfill that. Right? You don't see a direct fulfillment that they were submissive, they didn't open their mouth. So it falls apart there. Verse 10, if he made himself a, an offering for guilt, he might see offspring and have long life. The Hebrew word for guilt is asham, and it's the same word that's used in the Torah regarding guilt offerings. Right? So there's a connection there, even in Isaiah 53, when it says, if he made himself an offering for guilt, it's a connection to this, this one, this suffering servant that it's talking about being connected to the sacrificial system. Okay? Again, not fulfilled by Israel. Verse 12, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Okay? Not fulfilled by Israel. Only fulfilled by Messiah. Okay? Then why don't they see him? I'm going to give you a simple answer. And it'll be a little bit into next week. I'm going to give you a simple answer why the Jewish people haven't received Messiah. I'm going to give you the simplest, plainest answer why Israel corporately has not received the atonement that has come from accepting Messiah. Real simple. Okay? Messiah died on what holiday? Passover. Spring holiday. What is the holiday for atonement for Israel? Yom Kippur. The day of atonement. That's their day of atonement. Passover is not their day of atonement. It's just that simple. Okay? He died on Passover and he delivered us from slavery. Okay? And we received that. But the day of atonement for Israel is not Passover. It's Yom Kippur. 
It's a fall holiday. It's an autumn holiday. It's a holiday that has not yet been fulfilled. Very simple. Very simple. So when Messiah came during Passover and the children of Israel slew him, slain him, whatever the right English word is for that, killed him, they were keeping the Torah perfectly. Because that is the day where the lamb needs to be slain. And they performed it. Simple. Their day of atonement is a later holiday that is yet to be fulfilled. Simple. It's perfectly aligned with Adonai's calendar. You will get Jewish people, like some of us here, who have accepted the Lord, right? Corporately. Nation of Israel, corporately. Their day of atonement is yet to happen. And that's according to Adonai's calendar. Okay? So blame Adonai and his calendar and not Jewish people. Because when Passover, when Messiah was here, they did what they were supposed to do. They killed him. Done. Simplest reason why the Jewish people haven't accepted Messiah. Their day of atonement is forthcoming. Okay? Simple. It's simple. When you understand the, the, the holidays... When you understand the holidays and the, the prophetic significance of the holidays in Scripture, it makes sense. It's not their day of atonement. And I'll tell you one thing. Messianic Jews and Messianic people, right, Gentile Jews, people in the Messianic world, struggle with the day of atonement for that reason. Because, well, day of atonement, that sounds like what Yeshua already did. Because he provided atonement for us, and he did. So, like, well, what, what does it mean then? What is... Yom Kippur mean? What does the Day of Atonement mean? I don't, you know? Like, they, they're just struggling with that. Like, okay, if he provided atonement for us, which he did, doesn't that mean he fulfilled Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement? It makes sense. You can see why there's, there could be confusion there. Okay? It has not yet been fulfilled for corporate Israel. Right, it's almost like one lamb per household, and then you yep. got for the nation. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. One lamb for the household, and then one day for the nation. And it's very interesting that, you know, next week we'll go about it. The, the animal in the Day of Atonement, because if you read the Torah, it's all prophetic, it's all significant. You look at these things like, okay, you know, it's a lamb, right? It's a lamb, okay? Um, the animals that bear the sins in Yom Kippur, it's not the lamb. It's goats. And goats are symbolic of us. Stubborn, go our own way. Don't listen to the shepherd. Right? A lamb, and it's really interesting. Like, a lamb, what is a lamb? Anyone know what a lamb is? Outside of cute. I don't mean how to describe a lamb. I mean, what is a lamb? What? A baby sheep. It's a baby sheep. That's what a lamb is, okay? In fact, it's a baby sheep or a baby goat. Both of them are lambs. In fact, in the, in the Chronicles of Passover, when God instructs the children of Israel to slay a lamb, it specifically says, you can take it from the sheep or the goats. Okay? Messiah was a, a lamb, so was he a baby sheep or a baby goat? He was a lamb. He was a sheep. Because it says in Isaiah 53, like a sheep before his shears, he is silent. And also a sheep follows the shepherd and Yeshua followed his father in heaven. He's not a stubborn goat like we are. The animal at play in Yom Kippur, which is yet to be fulfilled, is the goat. Which is a mature lamb, but it's a goat. We'll get to it. 
Okay? Now that I confuse the heck out of everybody. Okay? Crazy. Alright? But anyway, it's the, the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, the fall festival of Yom Kippur, is not yet happened. We can all agree to that part. Right? And um, that is the day of, of atonement for nationalism. So why didn't the Jews accept Messiah? It wasn't their time to accept Messiah. It was their time to slay the lamb when he was here. Simple as that. Um, why else did uh, national Israel not ex accept the Messiah? Um, I'm going to speak a little bit like an analogy again. Um, Messiah said in John, John 3.14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Does everybody remember what the serpent was that he's talking about? Yep, yep, on a pole. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And in Numbers 21, um, starting in verse 6, is when it speaks about what Messiah is actually talking about. What is this serpent in the wilderness that had to be lifted up so that the Son of Man can be lifted up? In uh, Numbers 21, starting in 6, verse 6. Anybody with a loud voice want to read that? You can go uh, Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Go for it. 21, 6, what? Yep. Loud, so, so uh, the Connecticut people can hear. Okay. Oh, it's still going. Still going. Yep. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he seeth it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and set it upon the pole, and it came to, to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked on the serpent of brass, he lived. Okay. So there's this brass or bronze serpent. He was put on a pole, right? And there were, these, there were these venomous serpents going around biting people. So the children of Israel, they would look upon this bronze serpent on a pole, which is so odd. Okay? Because, like God says, don't make images. So here he's saying, make this, tell in this moment, he's telling the children of Israel, put the serpent on a pole. And you look at the serpent on the pole, the bronze serpent, and the snakes won't affect you. Right? And we know what snakes bite, and that represents. It represents evil, even represents Hasatan, who's the serpent, even right from Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. She was right, it did pop up. I better hurry up, or else you're going to have to get a second take. Um, Alright, so this is side two. Class one. Oh yeah, let's go. Um, so it's interesting, right? So he is a serpent. He, whatever it is, he's up on a pole. Up on a pole. You look at him, and the serpents that are biting won't affect you. You be healed from that. And we, we see the significance of that when we know who the serpent is, right? And we know his sting. It says, "Oh, death, where is your sting?" Right? And so Messiah is the one that we look at, and, and we're healed from these things. We, we understand that. We understand that. Why? 
is one of the reasons why the Jewish people don't recognize him. And I'll, I'll, I'll have to share this. Now, Yeshua said, as the serpent in the wilderness is lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we just read what that meant from the Torah, right? It was actually a bronze serpent that was lifted up. And people looked at it and were healed. Does everybody know what happened to that serpent later on? Yeah. Yeah? It was turned into an idol. It was turned into, an was turned into something that it wasn't meant to be. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. Uh, he, I'm just going to continue on. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David has done. He removed the high places. We're familiar with the verses of the kings where the king, some good king, king came in and he removed all the high places and then his son came in and he was really bad. He put the high places back and then like another king would come in and he, put, he removed the high places. You know, that's, that was pretty much the nation of Israel. So good people came in, did some good stuff. The bad kings came in, did some really crummy stuff. Good kings came in. So anyway, so this one king um, Hezekiah did what's right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it and it was called Nehushtan. Okay? And when Yeshua said, so must I be lifted up like this serpent, like this serpent, the people that were reading it know the full story. They know that he was lifted up and he was looked at and people were healed. But they also know that this serpent was turned into something that was foreign. And eventually that had to be destroyed. And you must hear this in spirit. Wait a minute, what are you saying about Yeshua? I'm saying that, in a sense, he became something else. And that, that thing, that he became something else, will ultimately need to be destroyed for the children of Israel to be, to be cleansed and to recognize who he truly is. Okay? Yeah, go ahead. That's just like what happened with Joseph. It wasn't yes. until he, he took off his Egyptian yep. worldly garb. Correct. His brothers were able to see him. Yeah, correct, correct. Everybody familiar with the with the connection between Joseph from the Book of Genesis and Yeshua? Oh yeah, I was there for you, sir. Oh yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? Was a good one. Yeah, Joseph was a brother of the children of Israel. He was one of their brothers, right? He went to the children of Israel and said, "I'm going to be king over you, and you're going to bow to me." And they said. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not going to happen, bro. Right? And they sought out to kill him. And at the end of the day, they thought he was dead. They thought they did what they were supposed to do. But he wasn't really dead. What happened was, Joseph became a ruler of a foreign nation. So here's the children of Israel. They thought their brother was dead, Joseph. But he wasn't really dead. He was a ruler over a foreign nation in Egypt, right? And they recognized him as like second in command. It was like Pharaoh, and then he was like second in command. It's very similar to how Yeshua is obedient to his father, right? But ultimately, 
And, and even in the, 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 the experience in the, in the dungeon with, with the baker and the, the one who pours the wine, often that speaks about Yeshua also. Um, but ultimately, the children of Israel go through this thing where they come before Joseph. And at the end of this whole thing, Joseph takes off his garments. He takes off his Egyptian garments. And he told the Egyptians, get out of the room. I'm going to be with my family now. And he took off his garments. He took off the things that made him completely unrecognizable to the people of Israel. And he introduced himself as an I am Joseph. And that is what's going to happen ultimately to the Jewish people. So that is exactly what, what Val said, that, that Yeshua became something that is unrecognizable. And so it is, as he is the serpent and we look upon him and be, be healed, there's an aspect to that serpent that it became something else. And that thing had to be destroyed. Which, which we read about, right? And so it is with Yeshua. There's, there's an image of him that will have to be destroyed. Yes. And, the, and the children of Israel will recognize him. And the image of it is, is destroyed. Okay? That might be a little challenging to hear. So if, uh, just, just hear me in spirit with that at a higher level. We're not destroying Yeshua. We're not destroying Jesus, you know? But there's, there's an image of him and, and, a, and a picture of him that needs to be destroyed for the children of Israel to, to recognize him. That's ultimately what's going to happen. I think the best analogy of that is the story of Joseph. What's that? Yeah, you were you won't get it, right? Um, and it's interesting that um, that he's connected to Joseph because in Judaism, because in Judaism, the Orthodox, you know, Jews, they, they, they're searching scriptures constantly, you know? They're looking through Torah, looking through scripture, things like that. And what, the, what Judaism has come up with is the concept of two messiahs. Are they already familiar with that? They've come up with the two messiahs. They've looked through scriptures and came up with two messiahs. And they call the messiahs, Messiah son of Joseph. And Messiah son of David. Right? And we, we Messiah, son of David, is, is, the, is the Messiah that's going to rule over Israel at the end. Um, it says in Ezekiel, uh, they'll live in the land that, Jacob, uh, that I gave to Jacob. Uh, um, David, my servant, will be their prince forever. That's Messiah, son of David. Um, a shoot shall spring forth from Jesse, and a branch shall go from his roots. He will judge not with the side of his eyes. That's Messiah, son of David. He'll gather the dispersed back to Israel. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand for a banner of the people, and he shall set up a banner for the nations, assemble the outcasts of Israel. That's Isaiah 11. Uh, he'll turn the world to God. That's Messiah, son of David. They shall seek their God, and David their king. That's Hosea 3.5. They will seek the Lord their God, and David their king. These are the things that the Jewish people recognize as Messiah, son of David. Uh, he'll usher in a time of peace. It says, in those days I will cause a righteous branch, again branch, of David to spring forth, and he shall execute judgment, justice, and righteousness on the earth. So they see this. They see Messiah, son of David. But they also see um, this Messiah, son of Joseph. Now, they don't, they don't connect it, with, oddly, with Joseph, the story of Joseph. But they, but they see that there's this Messiah that's supposed to die. They see it in Scripture, and they call to him Messiah, son of Joseph. But they don't equate it with the Joseph of, of, of Genesis. It's very odd. They take a couple of odd verses. You know, a, 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 I, I, I'm not sure if I have it written down, but it's really odd verses about this character who's going to die. What they think Messiah, son of Joseph, is going to do is that he's going to be this Messiah, he's going to come, and he's going to die, and he's going to, and 
Jewish people are going to see this righteous dude get killed, like martyred, and they're going to be so upset, they're going to commit their lives to Torah and to God. And that's going to usher in the time of Messiah, son of David. That's what they think. But it's interesting that they call him Messiah, son of Joseph. When we, when we see the story of Joseph and how, how that relates to Messiah, Yeshua, it's, it's just incredible. And I find so many times that in Judaism, things that, they, things that they have put together as far as traditional beliefs speak of Messiah so much. We see that so often in the, in the Passover. There's so many elements of the Passover, Seder, that's like completely traditional, not even biblical, but it screams of Messiah. The matzah that's striped and pierced and broken and hidden. You know what I mean? And the part hidden. And a white cloth. What's that? And a white cloth. And a white cloth. You know what I mean? It comes out later. You know? Unbelievable stuff. Completely traditional and not biblical, but it screams, screams of, of who Yeshua is. You know? Amazing. Um, who is? Who do you say I am? He is the Son of God. Uh, in Judaism, that it's it's a completely foreign concept. They think that he's the son, that the son of God is like a foreign concept in Judaism. Foreign, okay? It's not really foreign, okay? It's not foreign, and I will show you in Scripture where it is not foreign. Um, okay. First of all. I'm just going to go through this a little bit. It says of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Now, we went through in the beginning, Matthew 1, he is the son of Abraham. Son of Abraham, son of David. Son of Abraham, son of David. Son of Abraham, son of David. Hint, hint, hint. Nothing is by accident in Scripture. Who is the son of Abraham? For real. We know Messiah is, but who is the... Literal son. Isaac is the son of Abraham. So in that, there's a hint of who Messiah is. And what happened to Isaac? Isaac is the son who was brought to the mountain to be executed. And it even says, it's so interesting, when God told Abraham to kill Isaac, he said, take your son, your only son. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? No. No. But he said, Ishmael was another son. But God said, take your son, your only son. It screams of only begotten son from the book of John. Screams of it. Okay? Because it's prophetic what God told Abraham when he said, take your son, your only son. Because clearly, in the natural, he wasn't his only son. Right? So there is the connection son of Abraham son of David. Um, and even says in Hebrews, uh, it, it speaks about the connection between Isaac, the son, and Yeshua, the son. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, uh, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Um, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and so, in a matter of speaking, did he receive Isaac back from the dead. So, son of Abraham. Son of Abraham, son of David. Who is David's son? For real. So, we see that it's a son of Abraham, son of David, and the real son of Abraham, there's a connection. 
He was a son who was brought to the mountain to be slain, but figuratively came back from the dead. Right? Son of Abraham. Son of David. Who is the son of David? Solomon. Solomon. This is what it says of Solomon. This is 1 Chronicles 17. This is God talking to David, because David wanted to build God's house. But God said to David, you're not the dude, dude. And he continued, after he said dude, verse 11, 1 Chronicles 17, 11. When you're, when you're this God talking to David about the son of David, Solomon, when your days are fulfilled, David, that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be of your house, I'm sorry, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. Is God talking? I will be his father. And he shall be my son. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So here's Nathan, and he's clearly speaking about, by the way, Solomon. Because there's other verses that speak of the exact same thing. Your son, David, will build my house, and I will be a father to him, and he will be my son. And then it goes on to say in other places, as long as he keeps the Torah, as long as he keeps my commandments, because if he doesn't keep my commandments, I'm going to put him the heck out of here also. Okay? So, so it's clearly talking about a human. It's talking about Solomon. But prophetically, it says right here, the son of David will be the son of God. Done. Simple. Right? He's talking to David about his son. In the natural, it is Solomon. And he specifically says, God talking, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Son of Abraham, son of David, son of God. Yeah. Also, we know Isaiah 9, 6, for a child shall be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called, which in Hebrew is Peleoites, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. It's one of those. Beautiful, yep. Yeah. Um, so here's a son, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's the literal translation of the Hebrew. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Son. Okay? Right? That's the literal translation. How do Jewish people see it? They'll, they'll say something like, um, and 
His name will be called by the mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful counsel. That's kind of how it's, it's twisted. But I read even one place that like a, a Jewish rabbi, Orthodox rabbi was saying, and I don't really believe in Messiah, but if there's any prophecy that speaks to me the most, it's this one. Because literally it does say, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and that would be the name of this son. And there's another verse about the Son of God, which speaks about Yeshua, which is important in Mishkan David, foundational at Mishkan David. Um, in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, uh, there were these three dudes. Right? There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed. And they were put, they refused to bow down to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And they even said, and Nebuchadnezzar said, how dare you not bow down to me? I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they said, we're not bowing down to you. God will rescue us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, I will not, we will not bow down to you. So off they go into the fire. And it says that while they're in the fire, even their clothes weren't even burnt. And Nebuchadnezzar looked into the oven, and he says, I thought we put three in there. But there's a fourth in there. One that looks like the sons of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan wannabe god king, recognizes this fourth one in there, and to the best of his understanding, recognized him as a son of the gods. That was the best of his understanding. But we know that to be Yeshua in there. Who else would be in there with him? With them in there, the fourth one in there, where Nebuchadnezzar, it's later on, saw that and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? Actually, at that moment, turned to God. Right? And, but even then, even through the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar, he called him the, sons, the son of the gods. Son of, son, son of the gods. But we know it as Yeshua. So this concept of the son of God, while Judaism wrestles with it, because they don't get it, because they know Adonai, they know Hashem, they know Hashem Echad, God is one, and, and we know that Yeshua is divine. And they struggle with that whole thing, that whole concept of a son, son of God, you know. But it's 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 in the scripture, and I, I love that scripture um, where it talks about that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw that as the son of the gods, and the son of David is called the son of God, right there in Chronicles. The son of David is called the son of God. It's real simple. Is that a yeah. question yeah, or a statement? Yeah, looks like the son of God. And, and I, and he, he's, now I'm doing this in his Tanakh, right? Yeah. And so when he comes to that point, he's like, let me see that. So he grabs it from me. So anyway, yeah. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, yeah, Baruch Hashem. Um, yeah, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. So this class is, hello? This is good stuff, why ain't it podcasting? Oh, I'll podcast it. Now that Rosemary brought the tape deck, we're going to podcast. Now we go. It's like, how are we supposed to share? So then it's not just going to be kinetic. Well, no, because I mean, I'd like to share it with my husband and somebody to get a 
So in the interest of finishing this before the tape runs out, because it's good that we went to one side, and one side equals 45 minutes. So we're probably at about an hour or so right now. And that's a good time to kind of wind down, right? This is a foundational class, and it's about issue. So I'm going to share some foundational things about Yeshua that is important to us at Vishkan David, that is seed here that has fallen from the good fruit. And I'm going to share it. We've heard here over the past eight years our equality with Mashiach, our equality with Yeshua, how He is in us and how we are Him, and how He is us and we are Him, and what He does, we do. And when God sees us, He sees the Son within us. And we call each other Yeshua. And anybody listening in Connecticut or in a podcast, we're like, that sounds like heresy. That we call each other Yeshua because we recognize the one that lives inside of us. Right? I want you to know, foundationally, this is Scripture 101. And it's, it's something that is mostly missed. Our equality, our echad, unity with Messiah. And I am just going to go through scriptures, and I'm going to read scripture alone. Because you can talk with analogy, and it kind of makes sense, right? I'm going to go straight, raw scripture. And here is the deal about reading scripture when it comes to things that seem kind of odd, right? Because what people tend to do, what humans, all of us, tend to do sometimes, is we see something in Scripture, and we, we, we think we found something. And we started a church. And we started a church. <laughs> and we started a new denomination, right? That's very true. And then you get a bunch of people that believe it, and you start a denomination, right? In Torah, it says that a matter is established with two yes. or more witnesses. So it is with Scripture. If you find a Scripture that stands on its own, and you, and you think you know what it means, it must be validated by two or more other Scriptures in order for it to be established as a potential truth. Okay? If you don't have that, it stands on its own, and it does not, it cannot be considered true theology. Okay? So does this concept of our unity with Messiah, that we are Him right now, does that bear witness in Scripture? Or is it just something wacky that we do here in Mishkan Devi? Right? I'm just going to read a bunch <coughs> of Scriptures. And then we can talk more in like an analogy. Matthew 10, verse 40. He that receives you receives me. Luke 10, 16. The one 
who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. Galatians 4.14 And my trial, this is Paul talking, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel or a messenger of God, even as Messiah Yeshua. You receive me as a messenger of God, even as Messiah Yeshua. First John four seventeen. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. In this Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I that live, but Messiah lives in me. John 17, 22 and 23. I have given them, this is Messiah speaking, to God, to his Father. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. How many people are Trinitarians? Do we understand the equality between Messiah and His Father in this concept of, of God, in who God is? Right? We understand that equality. We understand it. We get it. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Oh, come on now. This is good stuff. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Oh, this is over the top. Acts 9, 4 or 5. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. Romans 8, 9, 8, 19, creation eagerly waits the revealing of the sons of God. 
the most common understanding of that I want to share is that that's like some sort of angelic showing up at the end. This is Romans 8, 19. You don't have to look too far to see what Paul meant by who the sons of God are. So it says, like I read, in Romans 8, 19, creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. Well then, a Bible student will say, who are the sons of God? And some will conclude incorrectly that it's like angels. All you have to do is go back a few verses to 8, I know you're in there, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. That ain't no talking about angels coming at the end with Messiah. He's talking about us. Sons of God. This one I love. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. This is Paul talking to Timothy. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. <laughs> he right. cannot deny himself. I think these are a few more than the two or more that you need for a witness that speak to our equality with Messiah. So when I say, when I see you, my king, I see Yeshua. And when I see you, I see Yeshua. And when I see you, Linda, as you're writing, I see Yeshua, the Son of God living in you. The glory that Adonai put on the Son, the one Son, Yeshua, He puts on us. So when I look at you, I see Him. You know, when we're drowning, we tend to remember the verse when Peter was drowning and he had to keep his eye on Yeshua to walk on water. So when we feel we're drowning, we tend to kind of look upward where Messiah is at the right hand of the Father and say, help me, I'm drowning. Tell you right now, Judy, when I look at you, I can walk on water. John, when I look at you, I can walk on water. <laughs> Rosemary, when I look at you, 
I can walk on water. <laughs> yes, and you too, we shall. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Our equality with the Son is sure. Who do you say I am? And I just listed about ten scriptures. And there's more that validate that. So what's foundational about Yeshua at Mishkan Bavim? That's foundational. What is seed that we have here that's going to be sprouting? It's that we are Yeshua. And he is us. Say again? The first be holy, the rest be Come on! If the first is holy, the rest are holy. Come on! Oh, that one got Lou excited. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. We are one. It says of the husband and the bride, the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. Basar echad. One flesh. Who is the husband? Yeshua. Who is the bride? Me. Woohoo! The two shall become one flesh. And the man shall leave father and mother. Did Yeshua leave father? Yes. On the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Did Yeshua leave mother? Yes. He said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Man shall leave father and mother and become one with his bride. Where did the bride come from? From Adam. Where was Yeshua pierced? In his side. Where the bride comes out. When Messiah said, it is finished, go look it up in a, even in a modern day Hebrew dictionary. The Hebrew word is kala, the finished. It is the same word as bride. When he said, there it is, yeah. When he said, it is finished, it's the exact same word as he's calling for his bride. The word, it is finished, yeah. finished, yeah. is the same word for bride. I'll bring that from the Hebrew dictionary. God willing. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. She's processing. Thank you, Father. And I'll close with this. He is the Lamb of God. I don't know Greek. But I'll share this. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in the writings of Paul, the word for lamb is amnos. 
omnos, A-M-N-O-S, I guess would be in English. Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. It's always omnos. John, the writer John, the gospel writer John, when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It's omnos. Later on in the book of John, after Yeshua is resurrected, and he goes to that conversation with Peter, saying, Who do you say I am? I'm sorry. Um, what is it? What do you say to Peter? He says, Go feed my sheep, go feed my lambs. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Right? Of course I do, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. Why do you keep asking me these things? You know? Feed my lambs. This is the same John that used the word omnos to describe the Lamb of God. When he says, feed my lambs, it's a different word. It's arnion, A-R-N-I-O-N in English. Okay, arnion. It's a change of the word. And that kind of makes sense. And in, in the natural, those words, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like if he said, behold the Lamb of God in English. And then he spoke to John at that point, or to Peter at that point, and said, do you love me? Of course I do. Then feed my baby sheep. Okay, it's just another word for lamb. It's almost like we use the Lamb of God and then there's a feed my baby sheep. But we, we know that was to feed my lambs. We know he's talking about humans. He, that's Arneon, feed my lambs. The only other time in all of the New Testament that the word Arneon is used to describe lamb is in Revelation. In all those areas in Revelation where it talks about the lamb, it's always Arneon. All in Revelation. Outside of Revelation, the only place in all of the New Testament that uses that word to describe lambs is when Yeshua said, feed my lambs. More to come on that next week. Father, we thank you, Adonai, for your time with you, Adonai, and for our studying, and more so, Adonai, speak to us through the words on the pages that I brought here, Father, and just as we read Scripture, we read Scripture, you're speaking to us through Scripture. I pray out and I that you are revealing revelation far beyond anything spoken to here as, as you listen about yourself in this class, Father. And let it be known and let the foundations and the walls and the pillars here that the first foundation we learn is the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, here in Mishnah. Thank you, Adonai. We lift you up and we love you, Father. And we thank you, Adonai, for this. In Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Amen.